the tentacles of COVID-19 rage far and wide. There is a pure medical emergency. People are dying or becoming gravely ill, but of course some folks don't even know they've been infected by the virus. The role of government at the local, state, and national levels is ripe for debate. There is raw conflict about masks, business openings, education, testing and tracing, vaccinations. At the heart of these conversations is John Franco Pizzina, who served as Shawnee County's health officer for 14 years before stepping down in December. Doctor, welcome to the Kansas Reflector. Thank you. Thank you for taking your time to be with us today. This is a serious issue. Um, so the, the pandemic has illustrated there's wide differences of opinion in politics, science, and health. But I think there's a consensus here that maybe COVID-19 isn't giving up easily. Is that correct? I think we have all the evidence that that is very correct. Not only is it not giving up easily, but it's there to stay. Uh, in fact, I just read that some researchers say that it will never go away. Uh, COVID, uh, the coronavirus, the virus that causes COVID-19, the disease, is probably going to stay with us for the foreseeable future. All we can hope is that we will be able to contain the effects through the use of vaccine and containment measures. Mm -hmm. I think this has really given people maybe an appreciation for the value of quality health care. Yes, I hope that would also give people an appreciation of the value of quality public health because healthcare is only part of the equation. I don't know how good it does to tell people, you know, if you get sick, we have a bed in ICU for you, if we have a bed, because depending on things you have, we may not have a bed in ICU. Um, how about try for people not to get sick to begin with? I think that that's really the, the culprit of the question. Yeah, I've got my fingers crossed. So let's think broadly first. If, if you had the power, what would you do in Kansas to help people grapple with the virus? You got the magic wand. Oh boy, that's that's a really tough one. Uh, primarily because I don't believe in magic. Magic, <laughs> magic would uh, assume that uh, anything I want to do would be fair, possible, feasible, and the people will accept it. And that's really not the case. I, I, I recognize that I came to this discussion with the bias. And that's the bias of a public health practitioner who has practiced and trained for 30 years for an event like this. So I have my clear ideas of what needs to be done and how people need to be kept away from each other and uh, for how long that needs to, to take place and so on. But I do understand, and again, I learned the hard way, that uh, there are other perspectives. And for some people, the price that we pay for preventing disease sickness and death is not that does not justify the consequences of the actions that we take and the consequences are primarily in lifestyle and in the economy can we wrap our hands around the reasons there's so much pushback to health public health recommendations and mandates and i'm thinking about the arguments about personal liberty uh, regarding your health care or just acceptance of bad science or feelings of youthful immunity, you know? I think there are multiple reasons, Tim. I, I, I think it goes back really to the history, the core values of this country, where personal liberty is really valued more than anything else. And if you compare that to what happens in other countries, that's really not this. Of course, the liberty is always valued, but it's, it's, uh, it's probably not at the same level. So, um, Many countries in Western Europe in particular, I'm more familiar with Italy for obvious reasons, 
they have learned over time to balance personal liberty with the common good. Mm-hmm. This country has never have has never had to do that, and uh, I I think we are really struggling to do that. On top of that, you put um, a leadership in Washington at the national level that definitely had no interest to acknowledge that we had a pandemic, that we had a serious problem, and uh, um, send very conflicting messages down to the states and to the local that was very divisive and and uh, um, and just didn't make sense in many cases from a scientific point of view. So soon, one of the most uh, tried and effective public health prevention measures been used for centuries, which is using a mask, became a political badge instead of public health prevention. And from that point on, everything was much more harder. Well, doctor, you are from Italy. Uh, you graduated from medical school there, and you worked in Africa. You earned a master's degree in public health at Johns Hopkins. You worked at the CDC, and you b- became the Kansas Department of Health and Environment's first state epidemiologist in 1994. And of course, you went on to serve in Shawnee County. So, what sort of pressures did you experience as the pandemic developed in, in terms of your work in at, at the county? Well, I. It, it, it evolved over time. At the beginning, well, first of all, before the pandemic, my contract with the county was really relatively easy and straightforward. I was there to, um, you know, supervise some nurses in terms of uh, uh, writing prescriptions and standing orders and uh, provide occasional input and advice on uh, small outbreaks of chickenpox in schools, things of that nature. Now, of course, everything changed in March of this year. And uh, um, at the beginning of that pandemic period, um, I think people were so stunned and shocked that anything we, public health, said would go. There there were very few objections, if any. Uh, There were concerns, obviously. There were people uh, very worried about their own future and the future of, 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 of the business of this community. But a very, very few voices of dissent. Then the honeymoon ended? Then the honeymoon ended, and ended really uh, pretty badly. And, and again, I think in doing that, a major role came from the political division that got matched with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at some point in June, uh, at the beginning of June, the legislature uh, changed the statutes that regulate public health and the interaction between public health authorities and health officers and and local boards of health. And that opened the door to um, much more tense responsibility between the local boards and the boards of county commissioners, essentially, which are also act as the boards of health and the public health officer. Because all of a sudden, those three, typically three in most counties in Kansas, elected individuals were given a responsibility that they were not ready to have. Frankly, I think most of them did not want the responsibility. But once that was given to them, they had it. And they felt that they had to use it. They were under pressure to use it. So I just just point out that one element of that June legislation was that it made clear that county governments could opt out of executive orders issued by Governor Laura Kelly. Right. That was one element. So there was clearly the, the, the... the relationship between the state government, the local government, and home ruling, and you know things that we are very familiar with here in Kansas. Mm-hmm. 
The other component was the relationship between the boards and the health officer. And for the first time, so the health officer, you need to understand, the health officer always serves at the pleasure of the board. So he's appointed by the board, hire and fire. Okay, so that, that's the highest level of accountability, if you will. I mean, mm-hmm. the board is my boss, was my boss when I was a health officer. On top of that, what the legislature did, gave the board the authority to overrule individual overrule or change individual decisions from the health office. A kind of line item veto, if you will. Shawnee County, the Shawnee County, elected Shawnee County Commission could reject your recommendation. And they did. Mm-hmm. And they did. And they made you do that. And that was really a game changer. Because now all of a sudden, my main concern couldn't be just what's best for the Shawnee County community from the public health protection point of view, but what is acceptable for those three commissioners so that they don't overrule. Because the overruling has several consequences. Number one, it, it, it removes interventions and measures that are really important. The health officer wouldn't implement those otherwise. Mm-hmm. Number two, and perhaps even more important, it sends a message, message of division. We are not a unified front anymore. Public health is undermined because those three commissioners can say in a public meeting that I don't think we need to do what you said we need to do. How are our citizens then supposed to follow those rules, which are tough rules sometimes, I understand. And so the message of division for me was the most dangerous thing that happened, more than the direct consequence, because honestly, sometimes the changes that they made were not big. And I suspect in some cases they were made just to show that they were in control, but in reality, they really didn't make a big difference. But the underlying message was very, very strong and they made a big difference. Interesting. Also heard that some health officers uh, around the state were threatened. Yeah. Did, did, did people threaten your well-being, safety? Without going to too many details, there was one episode when that happened at the very beginning, interesting enough, I, when I said at the very beginning, there was no position. Um, based on what I saw, I suspect that that person had some uh, mental health issues, uh, very sadly, and uh, that was the only time there were threats. I was called names on Facebook and social media, but you know, that I would say at that point, that just comes with the territory, but no physical threats to me or my family. But in other counties in Kansas, some of my colleagues were not so lucky, and, and uh, some of them resigned. Over yeah, I think there's a, a kind of a raft of, of resignations around right. the state. Right, and in many in, cases in because people pandemic. didn't want to be harassed. Mm-hmm. And I never felt harassed, really. I felt, honestly, when I go in public, still now, more than one month after I, I quit the position, a lot of people stopped me to say thank you, mm-hmm. not to, to criticize what I was doing. And that was the same when I was in that position. So uh, I, I never felt unsafe going around the community here. I think you're preparing to retire, but you resigned prematurely, briefly, a few weeks, perhaps before you were Two weeks. Why? Uh, It it was yet the the, uh, um, last episode of uh, overruling some provisions in my order. And uh, again, even though the changes were not dramatic, that was just the last straw. It was just, uh, uh, I, I, I thought it was sending the wrong message once again, and uh, um, I, I decided that I just couldn't work for the commission that was putting 
local business interest ahead of uh, the health of uh, the citizens. I also, honestly, I also wanted to send a shock through the system hmm. to, to, to say loud and clear, this is wrong. This is wrong. The health office already is accountable to the commission. Think about a city that appoints a police officer. The mayor, the, the city manager can fire, can hire, but, but they're not going to review each warrant, each action of that police chief. They're just going to let them do their job. If they're unhappy, what do they do? They fire them, right? Why can't we do the same thing in public health? Who are, what, what are the qualifications of those three elected individuals to make decisions that sometimes people with decades of experience like me and others have to agonize over because they're tough decisions? We go A or do we go B? Boy, it's really, you know, you can marry one case for A, one case for B. What gives those three people that authority is just the law that didn't really look at the consequences of what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think this county health uh, director system works? I'm just not sure about even the job requirements for the people holding your position in, say, less populated counties. There's 105 counties. You've got to find 100, 105 people to do this job. Not everybody can go to Johns Hopkins. Um, well, the state law differentiates between counties with uh, more than 100,000 people and counties with less than 100,000 people. The first group, those at uh, the urban counties, essentially, like Shawnee County, mm-hmm. they must have a physicians, preferably with training and experience in public health as a health officer. And that, that was my position before. The counties with fewer than 100,000 people, they can appoint as a health officer the health administrator, so essentially the director of the health department, but they must have a medical consultant on a contract that can provide input, but the consultant is not, that does not carry the authority of the health officer. So um, Does the consultant have to be a physician? That, it does have to be a physician, okay. but it does not have to be a public health physician. And, and so so they can, may, these people can call a friend and, and get help? Typically, look, especially before the pandemic, you need to understand, these are no glamorous jobs that you know, everybody wants. You know? and, and before the pandemic, they had to beg that maybe the, the one doctor in the hospital who, who could be suitable and say, Please take this position, and you know we're going to uh-huh. give you a few bucks at the end of the month, and 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 do that for the the good of the community. Which raises the possibility that people that accepted these positions before the pandemic, uh, once it once it, it it hit and spread last year, it was it made the job something they wanted no part of. In some cases, that's that's true. That happened. In some cases, people said, you know, I didn't sign up for this. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I, I, that, that's not what I do. I, I have my busy practice. I work at the hospital and go to find someone else. Um, in other cases, uh, I saw a lot of my colleagues, many of whom I, 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 I never met before. In fact, even now, I never met physically. I just met over, over Zoom since March. They really step up to the plate in an incredible way. And they go the fast training on public health very, very quickly. They did a marvelous job. Uh, some some of those health officers in small counties, um, they really got it. They got mm-hmm. it quickly. They look up to people with more experience throughout the state. And uh, um, the problem is that then, especially in rural counties, uh, communities became very divided over those measures. You know, early on in rural counties, the incidence of COVID nineteen was rather limited. Right. But as people moved about. 
uh, and the virus spread, some of those very uh, sparsely populated areas became per capita some of the biggest hotspots in the nation. Yes, yes. There is just no escape from this virus. It's being found in all continents, including Antarctica. Hmm. Um, so it's just incredible. How did you get to Antarctica? I have no idea, but, but it's just it takes incredible. takes one person, so right? The people in public health, when we were watching, you know, urban counties going through all the trouble and, and, and uh, rural counties the beginning of the summer, you know, being relatively spared, we knew that wouldn't last. You may not have an opinion about this, but I think I saw where U.S. Uh, airlines were perhaps going to require a uh, uh, COVID test to fly internationally. It made me kind of curious if it would be appropriate for all people on flying on commercial airlines to have a COVID test. You know, the problem with those tests, they only tell you that people were negative the time the test was done, mm-hmm. but not necessarily the time the people are flying. Obviously, there is at least a couple of days. Of, now we have the rapid test, but most rapid tests are antigen tests, as technical term. And they don't have the same kind of accuracy as, mm-hmm. as the test. They still take the wet when, when they so, stick the little swab in your throat. And for those tests, it takes a couple of days to get the result back. And people may be negative at the time of the test, but then because they were incubated and infection, mm-hmm. by the time they fly, they may be very well infectious Correct. to other people. Yeah, it's not with, without flaws, the idea. No, and frankly, with the virus being everywhere as it is now, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying it's going to take a lot of resources to implement that. I see. And I wonder if those resources would be better spent in, saying, speeding up the rate at which vaccine can be administered. Let's skip back to what the Kansas legislature did in 2020. They passed a bill that updated the state's disaster response law. So it was originally intended to be to help people deal with tornadoes, floods, prairie fires, whatever. It was it was flexed and adjusted to address the pandemic, but. One of the clear implications of the law was to limit the authority of the Democratic governor, Laura Kelly, to issue mandates. So, for example, she was criticized for closing some businesses early on, and she moved K-12 schools to online rather than in person. Do you have any uh, sense of... And the legislature in 2021 is going to modify it again. They're going to take a look at it. Do you have any insights into how the legislature might think about this law going forward? Well, I have some ideas of how they will think about it. I also have some ideas about what needs to happen. And, and, and unfortunately, the two things may not be the same necessarily. But um, a, a simple way to put it is that this is a national catastrophe. And it requires a national strategy. It cannot be done one county at a time. Um, we have uh, about 3,000 local health departments in this country. We can't leave each of those 3,000 health departments to decide what needs to be done in their own community. So the big challenge, once again, is to, to strike a balance between uh, the local control and the home ruling. And we want to keep that. That's an important value for our communities, I understand, with the need to have an organized strategy that can be effective throughout the state. And I'm, I'm not going to get into the, you know, mask, no mask, it should mm-hmm. be a state mandate. I, I want to get into that. But generally speaking, I think there is very, very important need now for a national and statewide strategy or strategies to control this virus rather than the patchwork type of interventions that we have seen so far. Yeah, well, let's get, let's talk about a national strategy. Let's think about vaccinations. <clears throat> you know, if, 
it, I don't get a sense that there's a real national strategy on how to do that. There's no system. Kansas is going to be different from Missouri. And to me, that's problematic when you're right. trying to get the general public information about how to go about something. If there was one set of rules for the order and the sequence for which you would go get a vaccination, it seems like that could be absorbed by the nation at once rather than having 105 different ones or 50 different strategies. So how are we doing on vaccinations and how might we do better? I think that's a great example of why we need a national strategy. And you know, we, I, I'm seeing a deja vu as of the testing situation at the beginning when there was no national strategy. And Fed, federal government at some point was saying, we are not a shipping company. We are, we are not going to ship the test. You, you order your own tests which of course makes no sense when you have a national catastrophe and then everybody is, is competing for the same test. So for the vaccination, what we need is really national strategy. And the strategy so far at the national level has been limited to the production and uh, distribution to the states. And that's it. There was very little thought or, or thinking that went into, uh, we can call it the last mile, but it was more like the last 10 miles because it's, you know, the distribution within each of the states is not just one mile, it's much more complex than that. There were very few directions once the vaccine was received by the states on how to use it. Um, and there were very high level generic recommendations on the priority groups, but states could change those. Even those recommendations were issued at the very last minute, just like one day before the vaccine was licensed and shipped to the states. So I don't understand why with months and months of uh, planning time ahead, why those things were not done before at the, state, at the national level. And then, you know, provide states with some guidance. These are some options that you can use to administer your vaccine. This is your target. You should give so many vaccines in so many days. Now, you can do that by big central clinics. You can do that by multiple small clinics. Here are the pros and cons of each option. You can choose whatever option. So give states an option, definitely. But give them some direction, some options. Right now, there was nothing. And so each state, is, as you said, is left on their own. And people know nothing about this. There was very little communication that came down from the national level. And that should have been another big big area of, uh, uh, of attention is just develop communication package that's uniform for everybody and people can understand. I think to your point, initially there was the personal protective equipment issue and states were going out on the international market and actually bidding against each other. Yeah. An insane situation. And then when the testing was developed, once again, kind of chaotic system, where do you go? Who should go? What should I think about it? And now we're at the vaccination stage, and it seems this is the third time that that we've had a lot of confusion about this. Yeah, and, and I really think that the the, uh, the deficiencies in the lack of a, of of a national strategy and national leadership are at the base of all of these examples. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do Do you have any suggestions how Kansas might make the vaccinations go better? Um, I don't know that I have any suggestion. I. Um, First of all, I think it's a marvelous achievement that we are administering vaccines at this point. I mean, those who were trained uh, um, years ago, like me in public health, that we were told to measure the development time in several years, multiple years, for a vaccine against a new agent, not less than a year. 
So we shouldn't forget that. We shouldn't mm-hmm. forget that this is an important achievement. There is vac- vaccination taking place in Shawnee County right now. Mm-hmm. It may not be perfect. It may not be. It may not meet all the expectations. That's not a problem with the, 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 the national leadership. I think they gave a set of expectations that was unrealistic by you know setting the goal of I think it was 20 million 20 million by the by end of right December of the year. I mean yeah. it was pretty clear it was very very hard to achieve that and, and it's a rule of thumb that I learned very easy and very quickly in leadership under promise and over deliver hmm. and they did the opposite they over promise and then of course they can deliver nor can the state so now you know the the, the buck is passed down from the state to the from the from the feds to the states and people are, are upset against the states and the locals because where is my vaccine? They told me I, I could have it right away. I think people need to be patient. This is a humongous um, undertaking. We have never, never in recent history, uh, history vaccinated our entire population twice. Never done it. So it's understandable there are some glitches. Understandable that things are not going exactly how people hope. We need to be patient. We need to provide idea and input and support, but in a in a constructive way, uh, without blashing. You know, the, the the poor people in public health who are just totally exhausted because they have to manage thousand cases a week in Shawnee County of coronavirus, and 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 those require a lot of work. What do you think is going to be the implications for the health system generally? And what I'm thinking about is physicians and nurses and so forth. There's it's essentially a PTSD nightmare, I, I would imagine, in some cases. I mean, you've watched, you've watched people die, perhaps, but if you watch 100 people die and you're a, a, a nurse, what does that do to you? I think only time will tell and enable us to measure the impact on uh, uh, first-line workers uh, of this situation. There was a case very publicized months ago of uh, a physician in New York City who took her life yes. um, in the middle of the crisis. Um, but you know, you talk to some of the physicians here in our hospitals and uh, um, one of them was saying that they, they had six deaths in just a few days. And these are physicians who work in intensive care. So they are used to seeing mm-hmm. people dying. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, you know, never have I seen six deaths in a few days. It would be rare to see six deaths in a month because people really don't die in hospitals much anymore. Our healthcare sophistication is such that uh, that doesn't happen very often. So, you know, people keep keep working, they keep going, they 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 you know, keep their heads down, and and uh, uh, but I'm sure that there is a price that everybody is paying. I could I, I could see it compelling some people to leave. The medical field, but on the other hand, it could inspire people to to go become educated and join the professions. That's what I hear, and I hear of uh, a surge in interest in uh, people who want to start a career in public health. Mm-hmm. And I think it's wonderful because we are losing a lot of people, seasoned people, and we need to replace them with young people. And, and right now, the, the workforce the, the, it's not in a pipeline, and and so we need that. Um, yeah, so it, it can go in either direction. I can tell you, even the public health uh, environment uh, uh, where typically, uh, you know, we don't see patients die per se, but but the the, the, the level of stress of, uh, you know, seeing that curve going up and up and up and up every week and uh, 
uh, you know, despite putting in uh, uh, 60, 70 hours a week of work, trying to trace everybody down and keep them in quarantine, uh, it, it, it becomes moralizing very quickly. And then on top of that, you have the divisiveness of the issue and, and, and the, the, uh, the fracture in our community, and you have the political uh, bodies who, who turn against you as, as, as public health, and, and that sometimes is too much, and a lot of people have quit. Yeah, that's got to be hard. I'm curious about mass gatherings. Let's just think about here in Topeka, the Kansas legislative session has begun. It's underway, and the Kansas Senate was sworn in on Monday, as was the House, but in celebration on the Senate floor, not the House floor, but on the Senate floor, uh, there were probably about half of the senators not wearing a mask. And then once it was over, for pictures and other reasons, the family members surged onto the floor, and now there were dozens of, of people without masks in a very large gathering. Uh, so is this a problem? Well, I really can't comment specifically on that situation. I wasn't there, you know, I don't know how long it lasts. I really don't know how many people were involved. I can tell you in general terms, what you are describing doesn't sound like a brilliant idea. Every time you bring people together, you increase the probability of the virus to be transmitted. And that is particularly true when you have a lot of virus in the community, like we are having now. If our prevalence or our incidence of the virus every week was at the level that it was six months ago, you know, with 50 or 100 cases, 150 cases a week, if you just think about the probability that any one person in that group had the virus that could transmit it to other people were pretty slim. Right now we have 10 times as many cases. So those probabilities are 10 times as high. And so you put together a large group of people, chances are that somebody's got the virus and somebody's going to transmit the virus to someone else. Mm -hmm. So similarly, later on Monday night, a, uh, a contingent of legislators convened at a private uh, building, uh, an address in Topeka near the Capitol for a dinner. And uh, I think there was maybe 60 people there in a confined space. Some are wearing masks, some not, but certainly when they were eating, they probably removed those masks. Uh, what's the rule for, for a business operating in Shawnee County? Should they have had no more than 10 people if you, you couldn't socially distance and wear a mask? I mean, what's the general rule? So the rule in Shawnee County is that uh, you can have no more uh, groups of no more than 10 people for a total of 100 people. And by the way, those rules apply not just to public places, they apply also to private places, to private business and frankly, private houses. We made that rule in preparation for Thanksgiving and, and, and the Christmas holiday to, to uh, dissuade people from having large family. So gatherings. clarify that you said 10 and then 100. Say that so again. yeah, that's the way it works. You can have a group of up to 10 people who cannot distance. So it's like typically in a setting like the one just said, with 10 people at, around at a table. restaurant table, 10 yeah, people. 10 people. Okay. Then you can have another group of 10 people, but they have to be at three, six feet apart. Okay. And they can never mingle with the other group or the other groups. So they should be, those groups should be divided by a sort of virtual firewall. And then you can have another group over there, another 10 people. But again, each cluster of 10 people should be totally divided by the others and there should be no moving back and forth, no connection whatsoever. No before and after dinner mingling with Absolutely cocktails. Absolutely not, because then, then it becomes a group bigger than 10 people. I understand. And the total cannot be more than 100. I understand. Very good. 
Uh, so what about these dinners? I mean, is this, should this be allowed? I'm not in a position to tell uh, if if uh, if they keep those precautions in place that I just described, they, they they wouldn't be violating any order. I mean, if they can keep ten people, groups of ten people separated, that's what restaurants do. Those that are open, uh, they do it all the time, right? So in the Capitol building, uh, during any legislative session, there's there's any number of kooky ideas, but uh, that are raised. But one idea that surfaced was the idea of well, we know legislators are, are testing positive for COVID, and we know people have folks at home that are positive. What if we just took all those people and had them work out of one special room at the Capitol, and it'd be like the COVID room, and uh, anybody with COVID could go there and work, and they could continue to work on, on legislative affairs? Good idea? Uh, bizarre idea, I would say. Uh... The concept of isolation is that once you are ordered to be on isolation, you pick a place to be in isolation, then you stay there for 10 days. You never leave that place, you stay there 24-7 for 10 days. So unless people want to eat, sleep, go to the bathroom, uh, all in that one room, uh, that's not something that would meet the requirement of, of isolation. So Maybe I, we'd need chamber pots again. Uh, That's where we're yeah, at. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure that people would be willing to do that. And, and the other thing, I don't know that I would want to have a cluster of uh, uh, you know, multiple infectious people in the middle of a Capitol building where you know, a lot of things can go yeah, wrong. Perhaps those people need to be someplace. Air else. circulation system that needs to be taken into account. Uh, Dr. Pizzino, what, what, what have you learned what have you learned about Kansans or yourself in this pandemic? Um, spike, speak to either. Well, I haven't learned about Kansas. Well, I, I have been living in Kansas for about 25 years, so I, I thought I knew about Kansas a little bit, and I did, and I did. I learned that Kansans can have a very big heart. Um, I know that the vast majority of people wanted to do the right thing. They were afraid, they still are. They want clear directions from a reputable source and they want to stick to those directions. Um, I also learned that uh, um, when politics start interfering with those directions, that's when everything falls apart because the political um, ideas and opinions that people hold become very, very important. I learned that rural communities can become really hard places to live in a situation like this because it was hard enough for me as being part of the city like Topeka, but for some of my colleagues in a rural community, they, were, they, they had to go against the same buddies that you know they went to high school with or that they, they go to church with or that, that whose children play together in high school. So, it's a very close community, and all of a sudden, those are your friends, your relatives, your neighbors that you have to turn to and say, you got to do this, and if you don't do it, then you're violating the law, and then you become the enemy. What did I learn about myself? I learned that uh, I have a big passion for public health. That wasn't new. And I also learned that I'm not, I'm not very young anymore. So I got tired. I, I, I never thought that I could tire out of a job 
in public health. I went through crisis before, of course, nothing really compares to the pandemic. But you know, I went through 9/11, and I went through the um, H1N1. I went through the uh, you may remember the white powder attacks mm-hmm. when, when mm-hmm. there was a bioterrorism threat. Sure. I was the head of the bioterrorism program at the state level. So I, uh, you know, working many hours, long hours, seven days a week, never really scared me, and I've done that before. Uh, I realize that I'm not that young anymore, and half, halfway into the pandemic, I became really tired. And I became tired not just physically, I became tired emotionally. I, I realized at some point, and that's when in October I announced that I was not going to renew my contract, I realized I didn't have the energy for this job anymore. And so I hope that the county can find someone who can bring some fresh energy because it takes a lot of energy. It's not just the physical energy, which is something, mm-hmm. but it's really the emotional, intellectual energy that, that, that people need to bring to this job. John Franco Ficino, former Shawnee County Health Officer, thank you for sharing your insights with us today thank on you. this Thank pandemic. you for the opportunity. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. We appreciate it.